Introducing Mortgage Matters. This is a great time to go buy a house. This is when the real estate fortunes are made. A show dedicated to helping you navigate the challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship in 2008 and continued to dominate the mortgage market. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess... Is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about. time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning. We are just getting settled in here into the brisk kvec studios this morning it's like a refrigerator it is i feel like i stepped into one of those one of those stand-up coolers at the restaurants or something it's cold what are they saying (laughs) what are they saying (laughs) well we barely made it in for the motor mouse we talked about that in the lobby got locked out who doesn't have a key to the studio the guy guy. that should have the key to the studio engineer yeah (laughs) yeah so and has it ever been locked before? No. <laughs> oh, I don't want to beep that part. Yeah. The studio is not locked. Yeah. Ever. I think, oh, you mean the actual interior the studio, actual, not the front door. door. Yeah, this door. That, that comes right sense. into this room here. So, yeah, it was kind of a hectic morning this morning. Yeah. But we, we worked through it. The show must go on. It always does. That's right. It always does. Never matter the, the window that's not here anymore, but. how's your foot feeling jim after kicking that door in losing a lot of blood losing a lot of blood (laughs) we find we we found a key good yeah awesome yeah here we are here we are it's it's, none of us are lottery winners huh yeah (laughs) we're all just the same as when we woke up yesterday 1.6 billion now yep next drawings on tuesday yeah, I was uh, I was pretty fascinated at the numbers. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the odds of winning, of course, are terrible. It's basically well, inconceivable. For this last drawing, it was one in three hundred and two million. Wow. And I can only imagine it gets worse going yeah. forward. I don't know how the odds change. Uh, how does the statistical probability change? There's only so many balls. True. And so many independent options. Yeah, like, maybe so it the, stays the same. Yeah, now the Yeah, true, because there's still the same set of numbers. Right. Right. So, so you have one coin, there's a 50-50 chance hmm. probability of you getting heads. But still, that's basically like one um, one American you know, I mean, what's the population? It's like I'm 330 sure. you million. You know, a right? Russian's going to win, some Russian <laughs> hacker. <laughs> Someone who's here on yeah. a vacation right. just happened to buy a lottery ticket. No smile. <laughs> Anyways, I think that I th- the part that I love about the lottery, but I also hate, is that you know you buy the ticket, right? The, buying the ticket is like for me because I've never won is all the fun because you you wait in line. You're like, all right, am I going to do like twenty dollars this time? Am I going to pick my own numbers? I got a fifty I'm get the in quick here pick? in the in the in my wallet. Do I want to use this fifty dollar bill? <laughs> I usually get about twenty to fifty dollars worth when it's above half half a billion. So no no questions asked on a billion. I'm going fifty. <laughs> right. And I get in my car already filled up. Usually I fill up the gas tank and I run in and grab the ticket. Time management, right? Mm-hmm. I, got, I got stuff to do. Sure. But I'll sit in my car, just sitting there. The next person's like waiting. 
waiting to use the gas pump. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about my new yacht with a helicopter on it that's, you know, off the coast of Barbados. And obviously, I'm going to do some charitable stuff. Have you, you know? already scanned the list of numbers and identified which line is the winner? No, that's no, <laughs> I don't do that. No. I don't even get the mega ball, Dan. Like the first thing I said, Erica's reading off the numbers to me and I'm like over at the kitchen counter and I'm like, all right, I'll slow down. Just read the mega ball first. And she says seven and I just run down the line. I'm like, Ugh, we don't even have the mega ball. <laughs> Out of 20 of these things? Well, 50? 50 is 25. No mega ball? Jeez. Yeah. Well, this, according to the money matters, or what is this one? Um, uh, Money watch. Uh, this is mortgage matters, Mo- Jim. No, yeah, mortgage yeah. matters. Money okay. watch. Yeah, money watch. <laughs> one, it's one in eighty-eight. A lot of blood. <laughs> one in eighty-eight quadrillion. That's. I don't even saying. know what a quadrillion I, is. Know, this is getting I into think, numbers. I'm, I'm unfamiliar thinking with. That they may not even know what they're talking about here. Four that's commas more than a billion. Eighty-eight thousand trillion. Quadrillions next after trillion. billion. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if because that's million. Because billion is three sets of yes. three zeros. Yeah. And so then quadrillion, then it would make sense to have four trillion. sets of four. Oh. Then it's. So it must be trillion, then quadrillion. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I need to buy more tickets. I don't know. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm <laughs> thinking that that, that may be kind of a stretch. <laughs> One on in 88 there. quadrillion. That's just the number of tickets that are probably sold. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Here's that can't be, though. Here's what I saw be. yesterday. I'm on board with you. The odds yeah. are the odds regardless of... The probability the, of the balls. Yeah, and yeah the, I'm and thinking... Independent. I just don't see how you would come up with that number. But There were people out the door at the local like convenience store near my house, like one after the other. Lottery ticket. Lottery just, ticket. Oh, they said they were ticket, selling... Lottery ticket. It in, didn't stop. It was, in California on uh, yesterday um, at... Around midday, they said they were selling 200 lottery tickets a second. Dang. That's I saw, crazy. I saw a sliver of that. Yeah. I just just wait till, wait till what, will, will it be Tuesday that's busy? Because then it's Tuesday night they draw. Yeah. yeah. So we'll just wait till Tuesday. People are going to be taking the day off work to go buy lottery tickets. Yeah. People don't use your equity line for this. <laughs> right. Don't use your home equity line for this. By the way, How Dan. fast can we close <laughs> yeah. on this? Cash uh, out. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Dan, Mike is not going to be in on Tuesday. Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> I hope for your sake yeah. that you're not here. Can escrow pay for the lottery tickets through closing? <laughs> I need them by uh, two Tuesday. But here's the thing. So I'm I'm doing the you know, they show you the math on the one point six billion dollar jackpot. If you're the winner, you get the option. You're gonna take the Oh the option discussion. You're gonna take the annuity that you know the what is it, paid out over twenty nine years, or you're gonna the the cash option is nine hundred million. That's a big haircut. Nine hundred million. For a young man like you, Mike? I'm telling you what I'm doing right now. What are now. you doing? Are you taking the 29 years? I am years? not even going to dance with the devil, and I'm taking the annuity. Yeah? The windfall of cash is... A, Too much. That's that's that More Money, More Problem song that came out in the late 90s. So, Daddy. You got that one, Jim. <laughs> and it's it's not... It's, it, it's just a preference thing for me. That's like, now I'm a king, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm like doing stupid stuff. Right. The annuity, albeit pays more over the life of the history i've got to live that's one problem you know right you got to make it 29 years right to collect it all and i wonder if it can go to my trust but 
that's a whole nother discussion probably, <laughs> but it's a contract. It's a contract. So taking it all at once is nuts. That's nuts. But so now, then you take it, you get your 900 million and then you get taxed on that. So then really at the end of the day, you're only seeing half of it. You're seeing 450 million. Is that all, Dan? That's it. I'm just saying, 450 million when you started with 1.6 billion. That's a well, that's big. True. I'm going back to the part when I bought the ticket for 50 bucks, <laughs> and you had hope. You yeah. still had hope. Let's just talk about that. Yeah. No. So then I was looking at the annuity. You take your 1.6 billion over 29 years, 55 million a year. Boom. Or what is it? I think it worked out to like four and a half million a month. And then taxes, after taxes, what you're really talking about take home is about two and a half million per month for 29 years. So I'll tell you what I'm doing with that. Could you even spend that? That's no. <laughs> I'd try, but well, you that's know, a lot. You know what happens? Okay, so this is my, this is what I think happens, okay? You make this money overnight, this windfall of cash. And you try to start associating with the people that have had cash like this for a long, long time. <laughs> and the door just doesn't open. They're like, hey, buddy, good job. No. Hey, know. new money. Yeah. Welcome to the party. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Jones is not going to be like, come on up to my skybox. We're going to watch a game together. <laughs> You're just a normal dude that's buying jets for no reason. Yeah, you got the points hanging out with like the DuPonts. Exactly. <laughs> you weren't getting. Yeah, you're, you're not going to be getting the invite. Well, no one's going to be getting that invite. I was going to say to the Paul Allen yacht out there. Right. Paul Allen's yacht is probably living to this yeah. day. Yeah. I'm assuming the party s- rages on. Yeah. And so the the annuity for me makes a ton of sense. I, I think I- anything in life, it's it's about how you manage this new cash, right? Like if you sold a house and had three hundred thousand dollars. Most people are going to say, I'm going to take that $300,000 and buy another house. But, you know, if you just came up on $300,000 and you're used to making $85,000, $110,000 a year, even that's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. People make dumb decisions with that amount of money. And one of the conditions we have in this mortgage business is that we can't let someone get a windfall of cash and turn that into income that qualifies them for a mortgage unless we've seen them have it for 12 months. Yeah, they have longer <laughs> they, than that. They have to have the the 2-year history and the 3-year likelihood of continuance. Well, they've true. You can turn the money into income right away. If you turn it into income right away, then 12 months of that history will count as income. We've had a I I know that we've done a couple loans for lottery winners. Are you serious? Yeah. We've had a couple people where, you know, they've had to explain their their assets that are showing up in their bank account and yeah, or, or where they got a down payment and it was from lottery winnings. So they, okay. So they actually used it within a two month period where we sourced that. I don't remember how it all came up. It they was were a few just years question, back, but right I remember on. it came up that they were, they were lottery winners Yeah, and they were using that money for, to acquire real estate. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, they weren't, I don't think they were the, $1.6 billion no, type of winners. No, they're, they're going all cash. You know, right? they were like, I got four out of five numbers kind of kind of people. Right, right. <laughs> you know, chances are, Dan, if $1.6 I, I hate to say it, they're probably not going to need a mortgage. 
Well, so here we bring up a good question, you know. I mean, money is still relatively cheap. Do you pay off the mortgage or do you just let it ride because it's uh it's at yeah. below 5%. Okay. I mean, you're only getting you're only getting 2.1 million a month. You might want to leverage some of that. Right. You might want to leverage some of that. All right. Well, before we get into too much of today's discussion, why don't we take a quick commercial break? Go ahead and think of your lottery numbers for Tuesday, and we'll be right back with more mortgage matters. conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. If you're like most investors, the constant ups and downs of the stock market have you on edge. How do you make sure you keep your gains without jumping ship too soon? At Century Financial Consultants, they have an investment strategy where your money is completely protected against market losses. You go up with the stock market, your gains locked in, and when the market goes down, you don't lose anything. Literally, you go up, never down, forwards, never backwards. Sounds too good to be true? See for yourself for free. Call Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 805-324-7914. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Linux. The most critical part of buying a home is getting pre-approved for a mortgage. Pre-approved buyers are taken more seriously, enjoy a less stressful transaction, and close faster with no last-minute surprises. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Matters talking a little lottery, but I think it's time to get on with the show. Let's talk about stuff we can control. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice though, wouldn't it? Oh, it'd be, it'd be phenomenal. <laughs> That's the best part of buying the ticket for me. Yeah, two minutes after. 
Um, so this was a, another interesting week in the markets. Volatile. Another volatile week. That's the, that's the word. The word is volatile. Big days. You know, the stock market. It's not uncommon to see the stock market moving 100 points up or down or sideways or whatever. <laughs> that's a but, walk in the park. I mean, we're talking 500-point swings up and down. and Yeah, we saw just, an 800 before last weekend. Yeah, last week and this week. It is just, it's rocking and rolling right now. You see a lot of these major S&P companies that own, you know, proportionally large large slices of the S&P down like 13% on the year, mm-hmm. 20% on the year. The fangs, as they call them, the Facebook, the Alphabet, those those big key tech stocks, not doing great. No. Not doing great. And, you know, those go bad. That's a significant portion of the S&P. S&P is not looking good. That starts making people nervous, pulling money out and putting it in cash. Mm-hmm. Not, not immediately all of it, but they're starting to see slivers. I've got a very good and very, like, smart investor friend. He loves to talk about his investments, and he should. I mean, he's done a really good job, and he's already pulling 25 30% in cash. You know, and he starts saying that, I actually start listening hmm. um, because I've seen him time and time again. He's older than me. He's about 52. Um time these cycles pretty well um you know take that for what it's worth but i think you see this activity it makes people nervous and it makes people nervous when concurrently interest rates are going the opposite way as well right so what does that mean for future earnings what does it mean for individuals and their affordability it it's not good for individuals and their affordability terrible and you know with the housing shortage and i know it sounds like we talk about this every week but there's there's a there's an opportunity here for it, people to think really about what they're going to do the next 3 to 5 years with with their housing situation. Yeah, I mean a, a lot of people thankfully are in a home. They've used this last 10 year uh, you know, rebounding real estate market to either acquire a home and or lower the debt service on the home they own. Um, and truthfully, I've seen people buy a home in 12 and already use some of the equity from it to, to move reshuffle up. their money. Yeah, exactly. Reconsolidate some of their money, which is great. Helps with the income statement. The personal finances look good. But, you know, if 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 prices, I wouldn't say prices drop. I'd hate to say that on the, on, on the air because I don't know. But if prices stay the same and, and the cost of capital continues to go up, they're going to be stuck in that house maybe longer than they wanted to be. Sure. And... and is that so bad? No, but what we're seeing is that people are, we're starting to see a just a slowdown in the activity of actual applications for purchases. And last year I felt like we saw this time of year we were still going pretty strong. We actually picked up through the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um in fact, I want to say December was our best month of the year last year. That's crazy. Uh, which is kind of odd, you know, it it bucks the the normal seasonal cycle of real estate but um we've seen that over the years it's not always you know summer's busy winter's not you know it it bucks that trend from time to time but last year was noticeable um we're definitely you know in a in a changing market as far as the mortgage side goes i saw some projections today that you know this year we should see somewhere around one and a half trillion dollars of home loans 
originated this year and next year the projection is for just over a trillion so pretty significant drop in volume mm-hmm. from this year to next um which you know a lot of that's going to be based on higher interest rates um so that leads to less refinancing volume it leads to lower affordability so likely less purchase volume as well um especially as as the home prices continue to stay high and moving higher if we see some flatness in that appreciation then we might see the home purchase market um continue to stay at the same level this year mm-hmm. but you know it's just it's not going to stop on a dime right now and we're still seeing above average appreciation so yeah well, we see appreciation fluctuate differently throughout the entire state california is enormous enormous state we've got various regions we have i mean dan we do a pretty good job servicing the whole state wouldn't you agree mm-hmm. i mean we talk to people in the central valley i've got people from riverside and san diego calling in based on our website activity and just reading articles that we post um at centralcoastlending.com and the spread between a county like santa clara that includes the silicon valley and a county like san bernardino that would include you know east of los angeles county san bernardino is is huge. It's a six hundred. Excuse me. It's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar difference in what the maximum loan amount is in the county. Mm-hmm. You know, that's almost fifty five, sixty percent more the houses cost in Santa Clara than than in San Bernardino County. Rightfully so, but was the appreciation there right? I mean, in the Central Coast, we're kind of a blue chip stock. I think we bounce back quickly. Yeah. We also don't run crazy, you know. We're right. not going to be up thirty percent in one year because of our the population and the demand. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for listeners here locally, I think it's it's easy to say you're not going to see a big drop. But for listeners out in the Central Valley or southern parts of Southern California, this is a good time to be nervous about what your equity position is over the next three years. I'm not saying tomorrow. Yeah, I mean volatility is here today in the stock market. But the the, home, the housing market appreciates quite well. I don't see how, how do you, if you don't mind me asking a quick, quick question, but how do you kind of figure out that rate in like a Los Angeles County where you have very diverse, you know, ranges in housing? The rate of appreciation? Yeah, you might have something, yeah. Like you have something in West LA, you know, or Beverly Hills, but then you have something in Compton. And how well, do you, you know? You know how do you kind of the rate of appreciation do that in a county like that? Yeah, the, you're you're really not looking at homes across neighborhoods like that. You're looking at what do like homes in this? You know, in a like if if you want to see what home appreciation in San Luis Obispo County is, you're going to look at a cross-section of, you know, you're going to look at some homes in Paso, some homes okay. in Slow, in, in the different cities, and, okay. and look at what the like homes in that area are doing over right. a period of time, okay. and then kind of drawing conclusions based on the samples you see from the different neighborhoods. Okay. You're not going to just... kind of got the wrong impression there. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and there's enough activity, especially in larger metros, where you can get a good feel for the appreciation rate. It's really where you get into markets where there's very little activity. Like yeah. if you were just trying to determine the appreciation rate in Cayucas, yeah. that's a hard thing to do when you've got a couple sales a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you really can't tell. It's There's not enough activity to get a good, yeah. accurate reading on that. But when you're talking about Los Angeles, 
um, or Riverside, you know, these large areas where there's just tons of homes. There's enough activity where you can get a better reading on that. Okay. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I noticed this week with the volatility, it also coincided with the release of the Fed, the Fed minutes from last, was it last week or two weeks ago, their um, policy announcement. And although we already knew this because there was a press conference after the last policy um, announcement, it just was reinforced with the release of the minutes that this Fed is on a path to raise interest rates. Um, they've already indicated their desire to raise a little bit more than we originally thought next year. Um, but they even went so far as to say, you know, we're going from an accommodative policy to neutral. They even see us going beyond neutral. And and that was the big takeaway from this uh, Fed minute release here was that this Fed isn't going to be satisfied with reaching what they would describe as a neutral rate policy where rates are kind of in line with market conditions. They'd actually like to see it go more towards the, um, I forgot the term, restrictive, the into the restrictive zone mm. of rate policy. And I think part of it's so that if we do enter recessionary um, times or, you know, we have those Backslide. ingredients for a recession again, that they have more tools available that, to them, you know, hundred percent. really their biggest tool is that benchmark interest rate beyond that, you know, they can, we saw through TARP and other things that they have other tools, but those aren't the tools you want to be using. Yeah. You know, you really want to just as a fed member, you want to stick to just your interest rate tool as a means to controlling yep. uh, the economic growth and stuff like that. So that's, I agree with you. That's I, really what seemed to be driving this market this week. And I boil it down to the same way, you know, most people should run their personal finances. Look, if times are good, set some money aside, you know, create that emergency fund. Give yourself another layer of of a month or two months or three months that you can bounce back, especially if you're self-employed, right? That if things happen, you can pull on reserves. Now, metaphorically speaking, I'm saying the interest rate going... I mean, look how much we pulled out of this recession purely because of interest rate mm -hmm. opportunities. People have 2.875% mortgages right now. I can't even have a discussion with them about a refinance. I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah. A lot those of people things, are in a good spot. Those things belong in a museum. Which we have to put this in perspective, right? We're talking about this rising interest rate environment. We're seeing the volatility in the markets, it kind of seems like a bad thing. But we have to recognize that we're raising rates right now because our economy is growing. Yep. Our economy is doing well. I don't always, you know, I hear a lot of talk like it's white hot. I don't know that I feel that way about it, but I do feel like it's positive. You mm -hmm. know, if if we're on a hundred point scale, we're above 50. We're doing, we're mm -hmm. doing better than average. I like where we're at. I like the growth path we're on. Um, and, and then when you look at, at the thing that sent us into the last recession, housing, you got to feel good about that sector as well from the standpoint that everybody who's, who owns a home today, um, has solid financing, meaning they're in fixed rate loans. They're not, you know, if the economy does shift, they're not going to see some dramatic change to their payments or, you know, so I think that helps um, stabilize 
and and would help us weather any kind of economic downturn? Because you're not going to see this total loss of confidence in real estate overnight like we saw before when mm-hmm. people's payments are ballooning or jumping and resetting and all of a sudden there's lack of confidence in real estate. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the good things. Real estate is is secured by fixed rate financing and and we're raising rates because we're growing, mm-hmm. not for any other reason. So those are good things, um, even though it might not always feel good. Um, we do have a call scheduled to come in here. So I think we need to take our break, uh, for the middle of the hour. And then we're going to run through the rest of this, uh, first hour of the show talking about some of the propositions that are, um, coming up here on the November ballot. We are going to talk about proposition five, which is, uh, related to, um, people over the age of 55 being able to move their tax base. Um, so that'll be an interesting discussion. Also the disabled, also victims of a natural disaster. Right, yeah, it's not just right. based on age. Um, so we're going to talk about that property tax base um, ballot initiative here. It's the Prop 5. And then Prop 10, which is related to rent control. Mm-hmm. So we have... We have Graham Updegrove from... Uh, he's actually the current president of the San Luis Obispo Association of Realtors. He's going to come on the air with us. Um, he's an active agent and a good friend of mine that I've known f- for five years. Um, no, he's with, um, he moved over to California Coast Real Estate about two years ago, before you probably knew him with Sotheby's. And um, Graham's got a great insight on this. He's just going to talk to us from an educational stamp- standpoint. He went up to Sacramento. He's um, he's heard these discussions. And we're going to have him on right after the break. He'll call into the show. So stick around. We'll talk more about Prop 5, Prop 10 right after this break. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. If you're like most investors, the constant ups and downs of the stock market have you on edge. How do you make sure you keep your gains without jumping ship too soon? At Century Financial Consultants, they have an investment strategy where your money is completely protected against market losses. You go up with the stock market, your gains locked in, and when the market goes down, you don't lose anything. Literally, you go up, never down, forwards, never backwards. Sounds too good to be true? See for yourself for free. Call Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 805-324-7914. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. Too often, potential home buyers disqualify themselves believing they need perfect credit. The fact is, we can finance home buyers with low credit scores, collections, bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018 DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Welcome back. Go on, you are listening to Mortgage Matters. We um, we are about to be joined by our call-in guest, Graham Updegrove. Um, before we bring him on, I just want to remind you that we can take calls while he's um, on the air with us. You can call us at 805-543-8830. 805-543-8830. We're going to be talking about Prop 5 and Prop 10 and um, just trying to give you a little bit of information, uh, clarify what the propositions are all about, and that way you're more educated when you go to the ballot box in a couple of Tuesdays. Well, Graham, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. Are you uh, Are you also bummed about not winning the lottery? I am. You are. <laughs> but it sounds like it, it went up a little bit, so there's still a chance. Yep. Yep, it did. It did. Well... First and foremost, Graham, um, I wanted you to just help the listeners understand, you know, you deal with this. You've been you've been active in the Association of Realtors, I want to say, for the, at least the last three years, and you're currently the president. So you've seen, you've been in closed room discussions and probably thought about this way more than any of us. Wouldn't you agree? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So and, t- and really has uh, been going to some of the California Association of Realtors meetings, seeing on a state level... Uh, what that discussion has been. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's kind of open up a discussion here, not only for education for our listeners, but just for you to kind of tell us some things that maybe we aren't seeing in print, you know, or just not thinking of. But let's start with Prop 5. I I think we should do that. And, you know, Dan set it up nicely, but Proposition 5 is really the property tax proposition with those over 55 wanting to downsize, move in general, also those for disability are disabled and and those who, you know, unfortunately go through a victim or a victim of a natural disaster that no longer have a house and need to move. And currently those those folks, they do have an opportunity to move their tax base one time, but it's limited to I, I think it's something like seven counties in California will accept an out of county uh property tax transfer. Um 
And so this this Proposition 5 is really just seeking to expand um, that opportunity statewide so that no county can refuse um, that transfer from out of county. Is that more or less the gist of Prop 5, Graham? Correct. And to provide a little background context, uh, so you're right when you say within within San Luis County, let's say, a homeowner that is 55 or older can transfer their tax base once, um, but it, there's a lot of restrictions on it. So it needs to be at equal or lesser value. Uh, for example, if if a uh, homeowner were to sell for, let's say, 700000 and they buy a replacement property at a higher price, they lose out on that transfer of tax base. It's an all-or-nothing uh, situation, it, and it's an equal or lesser value situation. So, really, it's pretty confined where uh, you know, a seller would need to sell for a certain price and buy for equal, equal or lesser value to maintain that Prop 13 tax base. Mm-hmm. So, this Prop 5 or, or the Property Tax Fairness Initiative, what that would do is open it up to the entire state. Uh, like you said, there's there's only a handful of counties that allow incoming transfers. Uh, so, for example, if I qualified, I couldn't transfer my tax base to Santa Barbara County or uh, Contra Costa County. With Prop 5, it would allow a homeowner 55 or older to transfer their tax base to any county within California, uh, it would allow that for an unlimited number of times, maintaining that Prop 13 tax base. And I think what's probably most important, it, it allows for a blended rate. So sellers can either move up or down. When um, So kind of taking that example, if, if a homeowner sold for 700000 here and transferred to another county and bought for 500000 it would be kind of a pro rata um, tra- transfer of tax base where that homeowner still maintains some of their Prop 13 uh, tax base. And um, and on the flip side, if a homeowner bought at a higher price, they would transfer their tax base, but then also, you know, would pay uh, normal property tax rates on any difference. So if they... If they sold a seven hundred thousand dollar home and bought a million dollar home, they'd transfer their tax base on the seven hundred and then pay the 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 new rate uh, or you know the the, the normal rate, rate on the, on 300. the, the additional three hundred thousand okay. that they're increasing. And and really the reason for this this was a, a ballot initiative that was sponsored by the California Association of Realtors. Um, sure. You know, it's no secret that we're dealing with the housing crisis statewide. It's not not locally, uh, just restricting San Luis Obispo County uh, residents. So the idea is there are a lot of baby boomers that own real estate. I was just at a, an economic conference, and I think they said something about uh, like 50% of the homes that are owned are owned by baby boomers that you know were, are, are getting into that point of their lives where they're retired, they may be on fixed income, um, there's there's potential fears about moving, where a annual property taxes could increase three, four, five times what they're currently paying, right. and a lot of those folks may be in homes that are not conducive to aging in place, 
or you know they had the four bedroom home and now all of their children have left and they're empty nesters they really don't need that four bedroom home so it's uh, the goal is to allow those folks to be able to transition into a smaller home um a a home that's more conducive to um you know those if if it's just a couple that's more conducive to those folks and and open up those four bedroom homes to you know people that really need to utilize those four bedrooms families and um that kind of thing so the idea is that it'll help with um increasing the resale inventory yeah, but also, well, also density too, you know. Yeah, and I, I, the, I mean, I think the reality is a lot of these larger homes are being underutilized uh, right. if they're only being lived in by one or two people. Right. And, and again, going back to the four bedroom home, if it's only one or two people in there, and you could easily have a family of you know four or five, six people, um, is is there a way that we can uh, facilitate? utilizing the properties that are already built better because new housing is is not keeping up with population growth. And right. that's why we've seen such a tight market on the for sale side and just the same on the rental side. It's a very tight market out there. People need a place to live. Yeah. So one of the things I've been seeing related to this initiative here is the, you know, on the the no side, the the propaganda is saying, well, it's you know, it's going to eliminate if we allow people to transfer their lower tax bases all over the state, then it's just going to create reduced revenue for the, the various municipalities that, that receive that property tax revenue. Um, when I saw that, my first thought was, yeah, but they have a home they're selling that someone else is going to buy. Um, at least that's the idea. So wouldn't while they might be moving into a, a new home and and transferring in a lower base, aren't they moving away from their from their old home and someone else is going to buy that and not necessarily be a transfer into that home? It could be a just a young family buying that home and they're going to pay the current tax rate. So won't it all kind of wash out? Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to kind of analyze. The legislative analyst's office did a, uh, a static analysis um, and looking at that potential loss of property tax dollars to you know, your county or your local municipalities. Um, but you're right that, you know, for, for every person that may leave San Luis County and, uh, taking their tax base elsewhere, you have incoming folks that are coming into the county. It's really difficult to, to detail or, or determine what that net effect is going to be. Uh, I think what's not discussed is that along with buying a home, there's there's such a big industry out there that's related to home ownership. So, you know, for everybody that buys yeah, a home, they 100%. use local services, mm-hmm. escrow, title, uh, realtors. You know, they're going out and looking at contractors, handymen, yep. um, furnishings, you know, blinds. It's, it's such a large industry that's related to housing. Um, that not only can we look at just that transaction itself, but you know, having that's someone that's coming into the community, they're going to be spending dollars uh, going out to restaurants and and you know buying consumable goods. Um, sure. So that I think is what hasn't really been detailed out very well. And it's um, you know most people that are buying homes are going to spend additional 
funds elsewhere, either on a service or a good, that has a net effect to the community as well. Absolutely. Hey, Graham, we've got a caller on the line. We've got Allison calling in from Arroyo Grande. Good morning, Allison. Good morning, guys. How are so you? I just had a, I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. You got a question oh, for good. us and or Graham? Well, it's more of just a comment. Um, okay. The way that I interpret the initiative, it seems more attractive to larger counties that might have a higher cost of living that would be able to take that base and come into our smaller county. And being a slow county native, it would be a very hard um, competition. It, you know, it, we don't have that that base yet. So uh, as a new homeowner, it's a little scary thinking that some people might be able to kind of over... You know where I'm going with this. I think I know what you're <laughs> saying. You're just Allison. you're maybe worried about an imbalance where more people right. would be transferring their low tax base in as opposed to moving out. Right. They have that that upper hand and that advantage where me, you know, it's taken me a very long time just to be in that position. So um, I could see why it's extremely sure. appealing for the larger county, but coming from a smaller county, it it doesn't seem as just. Do you have any any thoughts on that, Graham? Any, any sure, and, I, and if I hear what you're saying, Allison, is is probably yes. more so related to counties that have a higher median sales price, maybe transferring right. into a county that has a lower median sales right. price. So uh, the example it kind of opens up the floodgates where they might have been hesitant from from doing you know selling their house in LA County. Now that they have this blended opportunity, that you know they're going to come in and with the real estate inventory being limited as it is. Um, they're just going to have, you know, more uh, power behind that. So, yeah, and, and I think the reality is you're going to see uh, people going either direction, whether it's from mm-hmm. a, a lower price county to a higher price county, and vice versa. Uh, right. The thinking behind it is, you know, if if you have family elsewhere for an aging individual, uh, they typically want to be closer to family. They're on a fixed income most times. And and really, there's a lot of fear built in with not being, not having that uh, perception of being able to move because property taxes may go from you know twenty five hundred dollars a year to ten thousand dollars a year, and for that very fact, they're not willing to move. Uh, So the hope is that you know it, it would certainly open up some inventory to folks that live here um, and. And, you know, we can't discriminate against where people are coming from that live here. So um, the hope is that it would allow for people to have more freedom moving around the state. So to kind of carry with uh, Allison's point about potential imbalance, um, is there any kind of projection from the Association of Realtors about which counties might have the most activity or, or, you know... is there any way to even anticipate that? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think that I don't know that that analysis has been done on a county by county level. Um, you know, there's 58 counties in the state, right. and we've certainly seen out migration from California just with the cost of living. Um, but I don't know. That's that's a great question, and and I think that I mean. You know, I'm not 55. This wouldn't benefit me. But when I look at folks, you know, my parents are a perfect example. They live in town. They have a four-bedroom home. 
And do they need four bedrooms? Probably not. Uh, I know there are some other uh, programs that are trying to facilitate, you know, single owner households that maybe they have another retiree roommate. And it's better utilizing that space. Um, I, I might be going a little bit off topic, but, you know, again, utilizing the space that is already within our existing inventory. Correct. Yeah, I want to add to that just really quickly, Graham. Uh, you made it. I think you made a fascinating point about the the ripple effect of the microeconomy. Um, Allison, are you still on? Sorry, my two year old's in the yeah. back, and I think he wants to comment. He's as got well. a comment. Um, but just just on a final note, I just feel like it's more um, beneficial for people outside of our county um, because our area is more of the destination place. Sure. As a, and so this would this would finally give them that ability. And um, I just I on a real estate point uh, standpoint, yes, your customer base would grow because you could streamline this process. But as a native to this area. Um, I think it would be an imbalance, but I really appreciate you guys taking my call. Of Thank course. you so much. Thanks, Allison. Right, a, Allison. Uh-huh. We appreciate that perspective, and I, I think it's just really one of those hard things to even predict, you know, because at the same time, while I understand, you know, you got the big city folks who who want to retire to a beautiful area like San Luis Obispo County, yeah. and, and so I could see that, that, that there's a, a demand for people to want to um, move to our area. At the same time, I see that, you know, that aging in place and yet being around your, um, your family, you know, for a lot of us, the reality is we might have created a great life here and we're in that retirement age, but our, our kids, you know, they had to move away to find those jobs and, and they're raising their families in those big cities now so maybe me here as as dad, you know, I all my kids are in big cities and I'm I'm aging and, and I want to be around them and I want to be around my grandchildren. I might have a desire to, as much as I love San Luis about San Luis Obispo County, I might want to move to the big sure. city so that I can be around um, you know, my grandchildren or my children and And you've got equity here, but gosh, that property tax payment yeah. monthly is gonna be quite so a I can, I can see it working both ways. It's really just I, I almost feel like it comes down to how every individual feels like that balance might work out, if it will be imbalanced or not. Graham, I don't want to try to squeeze Prop 10 into five minutes. Would you hang out <laughs> with us through the break, or do you need to go? Sure, I can hang out. Um, or, I'm going to have him call I, back, too. We got kind of a... We're, we're at an awkward time yeah, here, Graham. Yeah, we want to talk it. to you about Prop 10, because I think it's it really dovetails nicely into this whole conversation. But Sure. Maybe we... We'll, well just let's start. start. Let's yeah, just let's start. start it and see how... Just talk faster, okay, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll do. Uh, so uh, just an overview, Prop 10, it would, there, there's a law, Costa Hawkins, a rental housing right. act that right. was put into place back in 1985. And basically what that stated is that uh, single family homes and condos are not subject to rent control, whereas apartment buildings are. And you've seen certain cities within California, I think there's maybe 15 or 20 cities that have adopted some form of rent control, Santa Monica being one of them. Um, so this, yeah. uh, it would be a potential repeal of that law that's been in effect the last 30 years or so. And it would give 
it would give control to local municipalities to determine whether or not mm-hmm. uh, some form of rent control is good or bad or, mm-hmm. you know, listening to the needs of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, as a as a proponent for private property rights, um, you know, the, the no vote would essentially leave things as they are. Um, and I think the main... The main argument uh, to support the no vote is that when you put rent control in place, it disincentivizes investment and and really the maintenance of rental properties. Yeah. So, for example, as a landlord, if my rent is limited uh, based on rent control regulations, then I don't have any incentive to maintain my property to make it nicer because I can't charge what the market would bear, mm-hmm. and I'm limited on that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other big hurdle is most times rent control does not really serve the people it's intended to serve. Um, from a property management standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, most property managers look at income. You know, if, if they have a policy that they want three times, uh, they want income of three times average rent, and and, you know, lower income folks are not able to show that they have, let's say, three times the average rent. You know, who, who's that property manager going to go with? Yeah. We've got, one, times, we've got one minute before the break, Graham. So I'm just, I'm just <laughs> okay. letting you know that because you're doing some good stuff right now. I'm talk, This is a really sure. good topic. So yeah, and, if, if the point of Prop 10 is to shift control of of rent of potential rent control to local governments that doesn't necessarily mean that we would have rent controls put into place it just means the local government would have a, the say as opposed to statewide or something right correct so is there fear that if control is shifted to local governments that more rent controls will be put into place and if so why would that be and maybe that may, well i guess what i'm doing out. is i am uh, teasing the next hour um we are being forced out here into the top of the hour break we're going to continue this discussion about props five and ten uh here in the next hour so stick with us for more mortgage matters after this quick break Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. back we never even left been here the whole time graham's here too graham's just waiting patiently on hold we really appreciate you sticking through the uh the break with us graham sure thing he's calling from his you're on the tarmac right outside your jet (laughs) (laughs) i wish (laughs) (laughs) yeah well we uh we got a nice little primer on prop five and we're halfway through our discussion of prop 10 um so we were just uh just talking about, you know, Prop 10 could potentially shift control over 
rent control decisions from state government to local government. I think usually we like having more local control because we kind of know our situation better than those those folks over in Sacramento, right? They don't know what's going on in our community. Um, so a lot of times we like local control, but here the the Association of Realtors is is pushing for a no vote. I volleyed the uh, the question here. I mean, just because we're shifting control locally doesn't necessarily mean that there will be rent controls. So what are your thoughts on that, Graham? Yeah, and that's a great question. And uh, I think what we've seen, uh, I think the reason that we are in the situation we are with kind of a housing crisis, and uh, both on the supply and affordability, is that construction hasn't kept pace with population growth. Uh, So kind of going back to that point of people needing a place to live, uh, throughout the state, we've seen certain communities that have been a little bit more resistant to allow new construction, whether that be in the form of apartments or single-family homes. So uh, local control is not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it could open up those uh, to those city councils that have a, I'm going to call it a NIMBY approach, not in my backyard, where they're fine with growth. And, and new construction as long as it's not happening in their community. And that's why we've seen some of these state laws just in the last year, year and a half, that have been pushed down to help promote building. Um, so a couple of things that with, with the Costa-Hawkins that's currently in place, this is a, the Rental Housing Act of, of 1995, it, it, it only uh, it restricts rent control to apartment buildings only, um, and it allows for... And new apartments, um, uh, right? No. Correct. And, yeah. it, and it allows for vacancy decontrol. And what, what I mean by that is, um, let's say there is a community with rent control in place. If a tenant moves out, then you have, then as, uh, the landlord has the ability to raise the rent to market rent. Um, some jurisdictions could institute uh, what, what would be effectively, um, if a tenant moves out that's under rent control, that there's no ability by that landlord to uh, change the market rent to whatever the market's bearing. Um, and I don't know how that would look like, you know, let's say city local city council wanted to institute rent control, how that would look, uh, you know, just, just with the fact that we have a lot of college students in town. Um, you know, again, normally a property manager is going to look at credit scores and income. So how do you deal with that when you're dealing with the student population? Um, I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's really been on the radar locally, but, um, yeah, you know, and I think in this situation, the law that's in effect has, I think, proven to be, you know, reasonable law. Um, so. So shifting that to a local control, I think you're going to get certain communities throughout the state that are very, very bureaucratic and, and set some pretty harsh penalties and regulations for uh, folks that are investing in rental property. And, and we're not just dealing with, you know, these large hedge funds that might be buying. It's, it's the mom and pop, you know, folks that they live in a house and they have a rental property and that provides some income for them. So... Rent control remaining or rent control decision making remaining at the state level, the belief is that there's less of a likelihood that rent controls would be put in place than if it were moved to local control. 
Well, lo- local jurisdictions do still have the opportunity to put into place rent control measures. Uh, for example, I think National City down in L.A., <clears throat> there's a ballot proposition there locally to form rent control, and it's it's very restrictive to a landlord. And what what is the unintended consequence of that? Uh, you know, I think there's there's certainly been calls for renter protections with the current situation that we're dealing with on a state level of, of low um, affordability and very low vacancy. But when you have rent control in place and the rental rate a landlord can be charged is regulated, again, they don't have incentive to put money into rental housing. So they may, um, you know, landlords or, or investors may put those funds into other areas uh, they are less likely to build new construction. You know, a developer is only going to build a project if they can make a reasonable uh, rate of return. And if there's no uh, chance of, of making some type of profit margin, then you're going to see a dwindling of new construction, and that's just going to exacerbate the issue. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm thinking here, I'm playing devil's advocate, is disincentivizing investors owning real estate a bad thing in a market when it's so hard for just a young family to buy a home that they can live in and make their primary residence? Great question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, not sure if I'm intelligent enough to answer that, but I think there's, <laughs> you know, money flows uh, from the stock market, to the rental, you know, to the housing market to bonds. And I think as you see volatility, I mean, that that money flows to whatever is the most uh, reasonable investment. Um, So to answer your question, uh, and and I'll just try and reiterate that in my own words. So if you're saying uh, because property values, we'll we'll talk about San Luis County, because property values and rental rates here, and especially in San Luis Obispo, because of the student population, uh, because those are high, um, restricting or or using some form of rent control would disincentivize the investor from purchasing in this market. Right, yeah, yeah. I feel like, yeah, potentially if there's rent controls in place, an investor might decide that they just real estate's not where they want to put their money. They want to do something different because there's, you know, there's the potential for keeping up with market rates and that may not be there with rent control. Sure. So you're trying to promote in a way, um, you know, owner occupants from being able to buy a home. I, I would go back to the fact that, you know, when you do have rent control in place, the number of uh, new construction units that are are being permitted and are being built dwindles. So, is that a net positive effect? Right. That if we're if we're disincentivizing new construction, um, knowing that population growth is real, you know, year over year, there's more people that live in San Luis County and statewide. So, where you know, where are we ten years, twenty years down the road? Uh, are we exacerbating the issue by disincentivizing? investment into new construction, into new apartment buildings, into, you know, whatever the community is needing. And and I think you can get around that to a certain extent by by kind of thinking outside the box of um, smaller scale units, single room occupancy. Uh, that's very similar to the Weinman building downtown. Those are single rooms. It's, it's an ideal 
living situation for young professionals, single people, and um, and that's not really provided elsewhere in the market. Sure, that's a that's a good point. I yeah, I could see that if there's less incentive for investors to get into the market, there's going to be less incentive for builders to build, which may there may maybe a net zero change to the amount of homes available to the to the people who want to make the properties owner occupied. So yeah, it might not right. have any kind of effect on values or making things more affordable. Just the same problem, just less people participating in the market. Right. And then, and then less of that other activity that you were talking about earlier, Graham, where it's not just about the homeowner and the builder. There's the, you know, there's the furniture company. There's the, the repair people. Moving, the, moving yeah, the company. moving companies. There's all that other stuff related to transacting real estate that drives our economy. Yeah. And, and I, you know, the other point I want to make is that um, going back to, you know, the, this is rent control typically serves the lower income strata of renters. And when you have rent control in place, I mean, I've heard multiple stories uh, where there is rent control, say Santa Monica or, or maybe some of the areas in uh, some, of, some of the cities in the Bay Area. Folks that get into a rent controlled unit, they never leave, even, even if they're not oh, necessarily yeah. living there. I've heard stories where, you know, someone keeps a rent controlled unit, you know, downtown LA, but then they live an hour away, and it's only mm-hmm. when they want to come into the city and go out to eat, then they stay at their rent-controlled unit, and there's no reason to give it up. So it's taking that unit off the market for someone that lives in the area, that works in the area. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, again, going back to the underutilized space, um, there's there's very little incentive to give up that rent-controlled unit. Um, so where where does the extra supply come from? to help lower the cost to everybody. That's a really, really good point. I actually witnessed that firsthand um, back in 2006. I moved to San Francisco, lived right in the city, and I lived in a rent-controlled building. I I think my rent for my apartment was like, it was like 2000 bucks a month or just under that. And there were other people living in the same building, similar units, paying less than $500 a month and they had one of the rare parking spaces in the building mm-hmm. um, because that was part of rent control as well. They got their their space. They could hold on to that. So it was just quite a disparity between the people who were new to the building and those who had lived there for a long time. And like you're saying, sure. Graham, for some of those people, shoot, I'll just, I'll, I'll keep that couple hundred dollar, $500 a month payment to have a nice little place in the city to come you know, visit on weekends or whatever. Now and that what's I've... to stop them from subleasing without it, you knowing? Totally, yeah. yeah. And that certainly happens where you know that that five hundred dollar, oh, that parking space is probably easily five hundred dollars. But you're right. You know, with with lease agreements where they don't have something in place uh, preventing subleasing. You know, if I uh, in that situation, that person paying five hundred dollars a month under rent control turns around and subleases it out for, you know, $2,000 a month, and they're just pocketing the cash, and it's not serving the people that it was meant to serve. Sure. Yep. Hey, Graham, since we got you on the line here, and it was news this week, um, I'll, I'll throw one more, uh, one more prop at you. This one's not, it doesn't sound like it's coming until the 2020 ballot, but I saw this week that um, 
there's on the 2020 ballot, we're going to be voting on whether to separate commercial property from residential with the Prop 13 protections of uh, property tax base. I was curious if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, and, and that's typically called a split role. Right, tax. yeah, split role. Uh, I think the you know commercial property owners have gotten very savvy of ways to kind of avoid having their properties reassessed. And the typical scenario that I've heard of, uh, let's say there's an LLC or some type of corporate entity that owns a commercial property. Instead of really selling the real estate, you're basically changing the ownership of the corporate structure. So it appears that there really hasn't been a, a change in title mm-hmm. uh, of the real estate itself. And, um, and you're just you know, you're, you're changing beneficial interest within the corporate entity. So I'm not, um, I'm not well-versed on the details of that. Um, you know, I think, I think the reality is local jurisdictions, counties, they're looking for where they can generate revenue. Mm-hmm. And I think that's seen as, as one avenue of, of having, you know, commercial properties that are maybe assessed each year and, um, that wouldn't be subject to the typical uh, Prop 13, um, you know, assessed value increases limited to 2% a year. I saw something pretty interesting about the split role idea and that um, for the for new businesses, for businesses, you know, that want to enter an industry, um, they're at a major disadvantage to existing businesses um, who might own their their commercial building um, because they have that low property tax base where usually a, a new business is paying some kind of triple net lease amount where they're 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 paying current market rent whatever it is and um, and and through ownership of a commercial building over time you really aren't paying a market rent you're paying something below that because a big part of your your cost of owning that building is your property taxes, but it's at such a low level that you're you're really you get the advantage of paying a below market rent the whole time, and it makes it hard for new businesses to enter and compete with those existing businesses and and create real competition, um, which isn't necessarily good for the consumer either. So, sure, kind of an interesting. Yeah, I agree, debate. and I, and I think also for you know for your smaller business owners, your mom and pop shop owners, it's, it's more and more difficult. Um, and that's why you're seeing more of a proliferation of national chains because they can pay those high market rents and absorb some of those costs. Yeah. Um, indeed. Well, this is a a great discussion. We really appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday, Graham, to, um, share some information about these propositions that we'll be voting on in a few weeks. Yeah. I'm happy to uh, to help shed some light on some of these issues. I know uh, you know a lot of them are uh, not the easiest to understand. So I I think uh, you know I certainly would say that um, the, from a being a real realtor and being you know an advocate of private property rights and like yes on five and no on ten is is certainly the route that um, I'm supportive of and and would encourage everyone that's listening to you know. Um, try and get as much information about these propositions as possible. Indeed. 
Indeed. Well, Graham, thanks so much for being on the show. We'll let you go. Get back to your Saturday. Hop in your jet. And um, <laughs> for the listeners, we're going to take a, a quick break here. Um, let you hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, there'll be more interesting stuff about the economy and mortgages right here on Mortgage Matters. Stick around. Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. If you're like most investors, the constant ups and downs of the stock market have you on edge. How do you make sure you keep your gains without jumping ship too soon? At Century Financial Consultants, they have an investment strategy where your money is completely protected against market losses. You go up with the stock market, your gains locked in, and when the market goes down, you don't lose anything. Literally, you go up, never down, forwards, never backwards. Sounds too good to be true? See for yourself for free. Call Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 805-324-7914. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's a common myth that home buyers need to save a 20% down payment to buy a home. The fact is, we offer numerous zero down and low down payment loan programs. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRE number 0183960008. California DBO number 6054783. NMLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. what you all wanted to hear. Uh, I'm trying to find an election day song. This is the most familiar one. Sure. Wasn't sure about language in some of the other ones. Hey, that was so, good. That was good. Yeah. Not going to well. steer you wrong, Jim. There we are. Hey, we are back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. And Elton John. It's a beautiful, beautiful 
day. Beautiful couple of days leading into this weekend. Ooh, yesterday was gorgeous. Yeah, man, we're lucky. It was 80 degrees out in Morro Bay. Looks like it's going to be more of the same today. I was staring out my window from my laptop, putting together loan applications. It was fantastic. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't want to be anywhere else, man. <laughs> it is. We are lucky. It's beautiful here. Um, again, want to thank Graham. He's a, he's a local real estate agent. He's with Central Coast. California Coastal or Real California Estate. Or California Coastal yep. Re- Real Estate. Yeah. Small um, firm, powerful, two guys. To the best of my knowledge, I don't think they a- added anyone else. Um, Stephen Hopkins is the broker and Graham Updegrove. So, yeah. If, and we, if anyone needs to get in touch with Graham, um, please reach out to us at Central Coast Lending. We'd be happy to give you his contact information. Um, one one number rings all four of our locations, all six of our locations, I should say, 805-543-5626. That's 543-LOAN. Um, looks like we've got a caller on the line. John, thanks for being on the air with us. Hey, how you guys doing today? Doing great. How about you? I'm doing good. I have a question um, regarding this whole Prop 10 thing. Um, I have some acreage just outside of Los Osos, and from what I hear, because of the sewer and how it's kind of got a stranglehold in Los Osos, Bruce Gibson is trying to add 5,000 more homes. And I'm curious to know how Prop hmm. 10 would affect all this and how it would keep Los Osos from expanding because basically you've got 15,000 homes paying for a $200 million plus sewer. And I'm just wondering how this is all going to play out because ultimately I don't think even if they double the size of Los Osos, that's not really going to do anything. I think they're going to have to change zoning out Los Osos Valley Road, out past the cemetery, out past Clark Valley Road. And I'm just curious to know what you guys think about all that and how Prop 10 is going to affect all this. Okay. Do you want to hang on the air? Or do you want to want us to just run with it off the air? Or Well, you, you, you got everything I had to say, so how okay. about it, bro? All right. Sounds good. Appreciate Thanks, your man. call, John. Appreciate you listening. Nope. Um. There's a, a lot going on there. I, I mean, first and foremost, Los Osos adding 5,000 houses would be a major increase to um, home inventory. It would, I mean, like like John said, it might come close to doubling or maybe a 50% increase in the population of Los Osos. Right. I wonder where they could even put those homes, you know, like, I mean, it might have to be off of a Los Osos Valley Road corridor type of area. That infrastructure is weak. To say the least, I mean, there's only two ways into that place, you know, and two yeah. ways out. Yeah, you got you got Baywood Road or, or you've South got Los Bay. Osos Valley Road. Oh yeah, South Bay, South Bay or uh, or Los Osos Valley. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you'd have congestion issues um, for people we're commuting. Side, we're sidestepping the proposition piece. I think. So yeah, Graham talked about it. Is is the it it would it could potentially um, disincentivize de- building. Disincentivize building. Right. You know. So the idea there is, you know, builders are going to build if there's demand for for the homes they build. Um, The demand right now is made up of pretty much everyone, it feels like. It feels like, you know, young people want to get into the housing market, buy their first home, get their just get their foot in the door so they can start benefiting from that home appreciation and, yeah. and all the benefits that and come along with home And you've got the not so young but not so old people that have owned for five years and they got that first house, but now they're ready for the move up house. Maybe, maybe the people whose 
incomes are doing great, you know, saving money. They want to buy a second home. You've got investors, people who who have um, money saved that they want to put down and, and start to build a real estate portfolio that they can generate passive income from. Maybe that's their path to retirement. So you've got all right. these different people participating in the real estate market, creating demand right now. Mm-hmm. And, and holding properties if they're yielding income that can go up conceivably sure. over the next five to seven years. So if 10 allows the municipality to regulate that, as Graham spoke of, people are going to get out of this game and play another game. You know, they'll Possibly. get out of potentially. And if that unit that an investor held sells, it and now it's on the open market for anyone who's demanding, right? Now it's sitting there as a existing home unit next to a possibility of a new brand new unit that makes it harder for builders to come in and make a profit right they have to now be more competitive sure it's brand new sure it's warranted sure everything in the house is squeaky brand new and clean but you know that other house is sixty five thousand dollars less that makes it tough for a builder to come in and be competitive yeah, they want a situation like the one we have here in San Luis Obispo right now, where it's like house goes on the market, house sells. They want to create more competition for the existing market because <laughs> there that makes their house that much more desirable, right? Sure. You so, know you've got it six months from now. It's going to be brand new. You just put a deposit down. You get the lot. I think Prop Ten passes. It makes it tougher to build. It I could think. potentially. I think there's a lot of what ifs in the whole Prop Ten equation because. You know, like the point that I brought up, I mean, it doesn't just shifting control of of rent control doesn't necessarily mean additional rent controls would be correct implemented. It just changes the game a little bit. Um, So it, it, it doesn't. But if if the worst case fears are true and, and shifting control to local government does increase the likelihood of rent control being implemented then so so there's our first if if that happens does that make current investors want to sell their investment property which increases the number of resale homes on the market and then does that lead builders to disincentivize them to want to build new homes because now there's more existing homes on the market. Plus there's also less people interested in even being real estate investors. So it's decreased the demand side there. We've got more inventory from resale homes. I mean, is this a recipe for just less building all around? I don't know. There's a lot of ifs. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of propaganda too, right? There is. There's a lot of propaganda, a lot of money in these initiatives. A non-partisan source, the California Legislative Analyst Office, says that um, Prop 10 doesn't encourage the construction of more housing with California, des- which what which is what desperately is needed in California, it, because um, it says focus on housing production, including construction and affordable housing is the issue because economic effects of rent control lead people to exit the market. So, right. but not all cities would opt in, but if many cities started to opt in, it could be a problem for future new construction is what it's saying here off of a, an LA times article, which I get, I'm on board with, you know, for the reasons we stated here, there's going to be less demand for homes, but 
which which would lead to less construction, right? But there might be more resale homes on the market as well. Mm-hmm. And if there's less in the demand is just really the investors. I, I think the demand is going to remain for the people who want to occupy as a primary residence. That that demand's never going away. We'll have different ownership. So yeah, different I, ownership. It's just man, it's hard to wrap your head around to go through all the what ifs and and potential outcomes and and then there's the unintended consequences that you just don't even think until they happen. Yeah, this is one worth reading, though, especially where we live. I'm kind of down the middle on this one because I yeah, it's a tough one. I see a lot of good, hardworking people that I really genuinely like that come in to get pre-approved, and they're like, I can't get anything for 465 and I, I just, <laughs> it doesn't make sense for me to live up the grade, you know? I My kids go to school in South County, I work in South County, and... I mean, we could buy in South County, but we want to live in San Luis Obispo. I'm reminded of a funny meme I saw on the internet yesterday that was uh, said something about, you know, a realtor talking to their client. Yeah, you know, I had a, we had one home in your price range on the market, but we sold it in 1969. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I and mean, that's kind of how it feels all across the state of California, right? So if you're the <laughs> other, if you're the person on the other side of that equ- equation, the owner that's worked hard and put money into real estate and taking the risk and maintaining the property and doing all that stuff, you're in great position right now. You know, there's an opportunity for you to raise rents, keep rents. That family that wants a great home is going to rent from you so they can conveniently stay closer to where they work, where their kids go to school. So it's tough for me. I'll tell you, I mean, Mike and I, during one of uh, an earlier break in the show, we're talking about this a little bit and, um, you know, through this last recessionary cycle, we saw the people that really got to take advantage of the, the depressed housing market were the people who had a lot of cash, right? I call them the haves. Mm -hmm. The haves were able to, pick up a lot of real estate at depressed values They're like three X have. And now. man, look at those guys today. All the people who were able to buy those properties in 2010 at half the value that they are today. Yeah. Boy, they're sitting pretty now. Sure. Um, as the haves continue to benefit from bad markets or opportunities, just opportunities presented to them. And the have-nots continue to struggle to get their foot in the door of real estate or just, you know, get the income level they need to just have meet needs and have a little discretionary income. I think you're going to see more and more of these types of initiatives that benefit the renter class of our population because mm-hmm. it feels like the renter class is growing, not not and, declining and or leaving the state and or leaving the state. I yeah. I can tell you, I mean, people talk about going to Denver. Sure. You know, so Oregon's I, popular again, whether or not prop 10 is successful here today, I feel like we're going to see more of this type of legislation or proposition, um, stuff on the, on future ballots. Right. And yeah, I, I, I think it just shows that, you know, it's, it's great to create opportunities. Um, but we, you know, there has to be some balance in society or Mm. things have a way of finding their way back to the middle. Some people would say that's the market. Yeah, it is. It Um, is. Um, But, you know, back to John's question about how does, how does prop 10 potentially affect growth in Los Osos? It sounds like, um, you know, not just Los Osos, but everywhere would see less new construction. 
Yeah. Um, I think that's that's the the most likely outcome when you kind of follow the what ifs. I've sat through many of the city council planning meetings. Um, I went to the auxiliary auxiliary dwelling unit conference they had or discussion they had in August. And the city's main goal with regards to housing is just density, providing a more dense, a more community base where people live and work in slow, you know, they can ride their bikes, they can jump on a bus. So I see the city, I'm speaking here as Mike points, I see the city, my opinion, getting behind this because it could open up opportunities for more single family residences to just open up. The issue still is, I mean, investors have to sell this house and then they, if they don't 1031 it, they have to pay taxes. So that's also keeping them around too. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't even talk about that. Um, I wanted to segue into what we probably would, yeah, what we would probably talk for the rest of the show about, which is the, the new banking products that are coming out of banks, not your traditional product and how it can allow borrowers to really get in this game sooner than later, whether you've had bad credit, you don't report as much income as, as the other loan officer told you, you have to report. So we're going to, Dan and I are going to get into that the last 20 minutes of the show here, but, but, but before we do, let's take a quick break for our sponsor. So please stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. If you're like most investors, the constant ups and downs of the stock market have you on edge. How do you make sure you keep your gains without jumping ship too soon? At Century Financial Consultants, they have an investment strategy where your money is completely protected against market losses. You go up with the stock market, your gains locked in, and when the market goes down, you don't lose anything. Literally, you go up, never down, forwards, never backwards. Sounds too good to be true? See for yourself for free. Call Matt at Century Financial Consultants today at 805-324-7914. That's 805-324-7914. Hi, this is Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. There's nothing like the euphoric feeling you get when you find the perfect home. The last thing you want is the embarrassment of discovering you don't qualify. It can actually cost you your deposit. Before you meet with a realtor, step one is to get pre-approved. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending is an equal housing lender. California BRA number 018-39608. DBO number 6054783. MLS number 328358. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. 
And yes, we are bang. We are we are doing the whole head bump over here. <laughs> This is it. This is the fourth quarter. It's the That's last. Right. That's right. So I, I, I feel like I am at a basketball game. Point out, I was going to use the theme thing here. Night Ranger, you can still rock in America. But the video wouldn't play right. <laughs> so I had to go with something. The something video? The old standby. Jim, Jim we don't do videos on uh, okay. radio. Oh, no, we don't. Okay. <laughs> the YouTube. Video show. Right. The radio uh, show. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're back. Mike, Mike segued us, prepared us for what we're seeing in the mortgage market now. Shouldn't even say the mortgage market, the real estate market. We're starting to see a pickup in alternative documented loans. Well put. Um, so what we've... It's kind of... It's bringing me back. It's bringing me back, Mike. I'm, I'm having a deja vu here to about, oh, I'm going to say 2000. 2003 um yeah and i I lived it yeah i was not a mortgage officer then i i was just just getting my my bearings in the mortgage market i i uh entered the i i graduated from cal poly got my first real job in the mortgage market um in 2002 and it was right when I called it Alte. The media seemed to really like the subprime terms. They called it all subprime. Um, but those those mortgage products where it wasn't just your Fannie, Freddie, full doc loan with mm-hmm. down payment. Um, Lots of verification of income. Yeah, th- those were starting to... Um, become less and less of the the mortgage market as new mortgage products started to take over. And as we now know from watching some of the movies and reading the books about the whole real estate meltdown, we know now that we were already starting to see hints of a of a downturn in the the real estate market in the early 2000s, but the bankers on Wall Street weren't ready to let it go. They weren't ready to see mortgage volume dip. We like to call it the, uh, well, what is it? Never underestimate the power of self-preservation. That's right. And so when you are a banker on Wall Street and you see volume starting to, to decline... You got to pay for your Maserati. Yeah. you. We need more, right? The I think the mantra on Wall Street is more. What's your number? <laughs> it's, more. It, my number's more. Yeah. <laughs> it's a... Yeah, it doesn't look like all the the zeros and stuff that you're used to. It, it's it's more. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's what they want on Wall Street. That's what we saw, and so we started to see the introduction of alternative mortgage products, mm-hmm. and that's what we're starting to see today. Um, and not and, just see, we're 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 actually seeing people benefit from taking on this product versus a conventional mortgage, depending on their lifestyle and their business model. You know. They have the means, and it's not a stated income. It's not like you walk in and say, I make 160000 Right. There's a process, but it is benefiting quite a few borrowers. I just, yeah, it's not coincidentally to me, because again, this is very much like 2002, 2003, we're seeing these products start to 
gain a little traction here in a real estate market that we're starting to pick our heads up and look and say, are are we starting to shift? Is this real estate market shifting a little bit? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is starting to shift. High values, interest rates rising, affordability down, mortgage volume is down, real estate transaction. I mean, we saw some housing numbers come out this week that all showed declining sales activity. Right. How do bankers, what do bankers do in markets like that? Never underestimate, they self-preserve. <laughs> <laughs> and so what we're starting to see are bank statement loans, where we're not looking at pay stubs and tax returns, we're looking at cash flow in bank accounts, and we're doing bank statement analysis. I even saw an email this week um, advertising a Nina loan. And for those of you not privy to all of our acronyms here in the mortgage world, that would be your no income, no asset loan. So that would be a loan based on credit and equity only. Right, so how much you put down on the property. Yeah. So we're entering a market where we're starting to see these products. We're seeing them introduced. Right now, really, the majority of the activity is in the bank statement loan mm-hmm. products. Mm-hmm. But but it's just a it's a gateway drug, Mike. I've seen this before. Mm. I've I've lived it. This is a gateway to stated income and no doc loans. Um, You're putting some of our listeners into a cold sweat right now, Dan. A little bit. The bank statement loans I can get on board with because yeah. this is where this is where you're really looking at someone's cash flow, and this is really for someone who's self-employed. I mean, that's really the ideal person that you're. That you're yeah, looking at for looking, this product. Yeah, I mean, we're looking, it's not an earnings report per se. It's more of like a gross deposits versus end of the month remaining. Mm-hmm. And, you know, do we have any random deposits that we could take out? So let's remove those from the mean and let's find a normal mean. Now, we don't let them use 100% of that. No. We, we still have a debt to income ratio that we, we find. Well, there's a, so, you know, what, what we would look at, it depends on if we're seeing business bank statements or personal bank statements. And we can blend those two, but yeah, it does depend. Yeah. So there's, you use one or the other or a blend and depending on which path you go down, there's a different expense factor that's going to be applied to the, the deposits that we see mm-hmm. on those bank statements. So for instance, if we're just looking at your business bank statements, we know that that's the money coming in is all gross revenue and there's expenses that need to be factored in. So your expense ratio is going to be higher on a business bank statement loan than on a personal bank statement loan. Mm -hmm. On a personal bank statement loan, um, you know, that would be the money that you've determined you're able to pay yourself after your business has received gross revenue, paid expenses, and there's residual left over. Well, how much can I take as, you know, an officer or an employee of my corporation, well, I'm going to take some amount of that. Well, there's still some expense ratio we need to apply to that, but it's going to be a lot less than just the business bank statements. Absolutely. Um, So, Because what we do now is we do all that. We get officer distributions declared. We get income declared. We put that into a personal account per se, or we average your income. And then we only get to use 45% of that. mm -hmm. So this is obviously giving you an opportunity but like you said, it's the gateway drug, right? It's- it is. And we haven't seen a lot of activity up until now because there's such a huge disparity in the interest rate, mm-hmm. right? Right now, or leading mm-hmm. up to this point, 
there's been these great opportunities for for people who need mortgages to come in and do a full doc loan, Fannie Freddie, and get a sub 5% interest rate. And it's been great. I mean, that's cheap money, historically low mortgage interest rates. Whereas these alternative documented loans, they've been in the high five, sixes, seven, even 8%. Uh, so that's not real attractive. You only go that direction if you have to. Mm-hmm. But now as we start to see the conventional mortgage, your Fannie, Freddie, FHA, as we see those interest rates start to increase and we see the alternative documented loans not increase. Stable. Yeah, they're really, those rates aren't moving as much um, as the conventional and government loan programs. So Last as the time disparity was April. Yeah. As the disparity is squeezed, the spread between the, the interest rates is squeezed between those two types of loan programs. Mm-hmm. You're going to start to see a greater appetite from the consumer side for those alternative documented loans because it's like, ah, well, you know, it's only 1% higher to go with this, you know, I don't want to call it state. It's a bank statement loan. Really. Alternative. Alternative loan. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not so bad. And these aren't. I could deal with are that. These 1% like the crazy ten-one balloon or three-one balloon. Oh, bands. there's thirty-year fixed opportunities. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's something that's a little bit different still, you know. But again, I call it a gateway because I remember back in 2002, we were just starting to see this alt A and subprime loan product craze just beginning, um, and it started out as just some pretty mainstream loan terms that you could get on board with. We saw the 15-year fixed. We saw the 30-year fixed. We had some ARM loans, adjustable rate mortgages. We saw your 10-year adjustable, your 7, your 5, your 3, and your 2. Had all the different ARM terms. You had your fixed terms. Mm -hmm. But it was only a few short years later that we started to see even that wasn't good enough. The market was still wanting to cool off. So then we started to see negam negam loans and interest only loans and blah 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 blah. So that's I I think right now where we're at seeing a bank statement loan in itself isn't a scary thing. But you feel it's transition. But if it leads to stated income, if it leads to no doc loans, if it leads to in, you know more creative terms like interest only and balloon payment loans and negatively amortizing loans. That's where we need to start being concerned mm-hmm. um, because that's where, you know, earlier we were talking about today's real estate market could weather a downturn in the economy because homeowners have stable financing. They have fixed financing. Right. But if we start to have a bunch of homeowners that have unstable financing where there are balloon payments, where there are adjustable payments or negatively amortizing payments... That's where you got to start to worry. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we're coming to the end of the show here, but I I mean, this isn't like a one or two months bank statement. You bring in 12 months, you can get better pricing if you bring in 24 months so that we can get a a very good average of what your net net, you know, gross deposits versus net deposits are. Um, We'll talk to you about some of those deposits. Dan and I and other loan officers at Central Coast Lending know how to do these loans and we talk with you about the value of going conventional or doing this. And what's your timing? You know, how long are you going to be in this market? Because if you're going to wait two or three years to have your income come up from where it's at now on paper with the IRS, 
rates might be at six and a half or six percent by then. I'm seeing five and a quarter consistently now. Yeah. You know? So it's a good discussion. It's one of those other arrows we put in our quiver, Dan, that I love to have as an advisor, a loan advisor. And I know I'm being negative over here, or well, you at saw least it. I'm being cautious. You saw I think. it. I've seen it. I want to keep people aware of what's going on and, um, but on the positive side for these bank statement loans, I will say that they're not as crazy as you might think. Um, we did one recently where we used the bank statements, applied the expense factor, you know, based on those guidelines and these, you know, the guidelines are very good. I'll have to admit they're very good. The expense ratio that was applied based on it's based on industry. Um, so each industry, they kind of have an idea of what, you know, the, the net pull through is of the, of the gross revenue. Um, this one loan that we looked at that we were able to fund, um, the expense ratio from the guidelines was so amazingly close to the actual, um, net income. net income of that borrower. It was, it was uncanny how accurate it was. Wow. So they've really done their analysis in establishing these guidelines. Um, they've looked across all industries and, uh, and determined these expense ratios that really make sense and they actually are realistic. But just like the jumbo market, there are different investors that have less overlays. That's true. And less to show. So there, it's becoming a bit more flexible. Um, and I, I think the greatest thing, too, is that it just opens up the door if you're in a transitional period in your life. Let's say your business just hasn't had the opportunity to show the profit yet on paper, but this last 16 months have been fantastic, and mm-hmm. you're, you've got a contract, you're on the uptick. It's a good time to talk about this. Otherwise, you're going to have to file your tax returns and look at doing this in February, March, or April. Yeah. I think I think it's something to definitely consider. Um it could be something as a, you know, it's a stepping stone product for you. Maybe it's something that's short term, kind of a bridge almost. It helps for other things too. Like if you found a condo you love in a complex that's non-wardable, True. we can go and do that where normally we'd have to go do something completely different or actually turn you away. It allows for asset lending. So if you're heavy rich on assets, we just reduce whatever the purchase price of the house is by your assets and divide the remaining amount. Divide that by 60 months worth of, and if we can show that 60 months worth of your assets will cover all your liabilities, your revolving debt, your housing payment, you can get the loan. It's different. It's not coming in and you saying, I make 160 and I say, no, you make 190. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're going to bump that to 190 and we're going to get you two houses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very different, but we got to keep our eye on it and make sure that it doesn't get abused. It's part abused. of the equation Yeah, and it needs to be used wisely. So just to kind of put it into perspective, we've seen these types of products go from about 0% of our monthly volume to... Eh, not quite 10. Yeah. I'm saying in the 5 to 10% range of our monthly volume is now made up of these bank statement loans. Mm-hmm. So it's something for you to consider. It's a product we offer, um, and the rates aren't aren't ridiculous, and you can get fixed-term loans. So there's a lot of positives to these products. It does open up some opportunities for others who are otherwise shut out of the conventional mortgage market. 
So um, if you're interested in something like that, please uh, give us a call during the week at any of our Central Coast Lending offices throughout the county. One number rings every office. It's 805-543-LOAN. That's 805-543-5626. You can find us on the web. You can even start the loan process on the web by filling an application online. Go to centralcoastlending.com for that application or other great information. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back next week with more Mortgage Matters. Have a great weekend. 